Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben Coles and I'm joined as always by Charlie Morgan. Hi Charlie. Hello mate. And also by Charles Richardson. Hello Charles. Hello. We're all back together again and we were all together at Twickenham as well. That was fun, wasn't it? We're going to be looking back at a dire performance. Is that is that too harsh? Is that too... I feel like that's fair. Jeez, I mean, it wasn't. It, it wasn't impressive. It was kind of worst to last as far as the autumn series. Worst to last as we'll far take as the that. Whole year. We'll take that. We'll be looking yeah. at a, a worst to, worst until last performance from England at Twickenham against South Africa. South Africa, who were very impressive, and we'll get deep into what's next for England in terms of tactics, personnel, and perhaps coaching as well. We'll also touch on Wales' disastrous implosion against Australia, with reports that head coach Wayne Pivak could soon be forced to step aside. More on that. And our guest this week, we're delighted to say, is France assistant coach Sean Edwards. We'll chat to him about France's unbeaten year in 2022, which tactical trends he's been looking at, and also we'll get into why he's never coached England. Right, gents, we were all there at Twickenham and it was pretty tough viewing. Were there any redeeming positives for England? It's hard to think of any. No, really isn't. I think if you're thinking across the whole series, people that have emerged, Dave Ribbons... Then you're clutching, aren't you? Really, the, Freddie Stewart clearly been being one of the one of the few consistent performances. Tom Curry was good for half an hour. Yeah, um, but you fits and starts like the whole year. I mean, you, if you're an England supporter, you're looking towards, and people have said it before, you're looking towards 2023, hanging your hat on 20 minutes here or there, and that is a remarkable place to be to not have put in a commanding 80 minute performance over a whole year is is quite something. After the game, the players were sort of, and Eddie Jones saying, yeah, look at, the, look at the Japan game. Japan have caused other sides problems and we imposed ourselves on them. That was poor. They, they weren't great against Japan. Charlie's so. just said that and I rolled my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Did Dis- it. I really, disdain. Really really um, I, I do think looking back at the, the New Zealand game, the end of that was impressive and that was in part due to how they'd attacked throughout the rest of the game. They created a fair bit against New Zealand. That's the best that Smith and Farrell have looked, but they still had alignment problems in those games. And what South Africa do is pressurise how hard you work off the ball to find an edge. And Fafta Clerk was clearly given license to just tear up and pressurise either one of Smith or Farrell because they're most likely to get the ball. 
So England's phase play was really, really struggling. And set piece, they were really struggling. Breakdown, they were really struggling. And the kicking game just seems to not be a factor for England at the minute. They kicked 14 times against South Africa, hardly imparted any pressure, coughed up that try with a Marcus Smith kick that was chased by four type five forwards and Freddie Stewart. Freddie Stewart wasn't given a chance to get into the game with contestables. Um, no, the kicking was garbage. It was, and, then, and they just, it was like the 2019 World Cup final in that England were left with nowhere to go because all the major pillars of their game collapsed under pressure from a South Africa side who didn't have a lot of their best players playing. No. Yeah. The most the most disappointing and disheartening thing of, of all this is that really Eddie has always championed that he would be so happy to sacrifice sort of dazzling attacking rugby in favour of winning and, and playing the team and playing the conditions. England tried to do that on, on Saturday. You know, they, they tried to kick. They kicked poorly. The most dispiriting thing of it all was that South Africa came, as we knew they were always going to, with a big front five to scrimmage really well and to try and win the aerial battle, and they failed. England failed to adapt to that completely. They failed in their preparation to adapt to that massive South African juggernaut. It was like watching the 2019 final all over again. I asked Eddie after the game how easy it is to improve. Are improvements actually possible? Have we got the players to stand up to this South Africa front five, to this South African aerial assault? I think Freddie Stewart, yes. Up front, we give them the best that we had. That was the the first choice six well, six front rowers, the four props, and um, but they came off second slash third best, really. We, we'll dive a bit more into it in a sec, we, but, but just with Wales, and, um, they were up 34-13 with 53 minutes on the clock, and then it, it all went very, very wrong. Just We'll dive into it more in more detail in a bit, but just quickly, is Wayne Pivot going to go, do you think? Are we going to see a coaching change? It was a threadbare Australia side, wasn't it? No, it really, really doesn't look good. It feels hypocritical saying that Wayne Pivak's probably under more pressure than Jones, but I think that's true, just because there weren't really tangible signs of progress throughout the rest of the year. Ironically, apart from maybe that first half against Australia, but then that fell apart. I think he's under a lot of pressure, isn't he? Charles, what are you finally excited to talk to Sean Edwards about as our guest today? Mainly because he's France assistant coach and we know that we know that you've been in France a bit and you've seen them play. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of what of what they're building over there, and, and obviously Sean has been has been integral to that, and um, I think he's showing Wales and England to an extent what they're missing. That's all coming up. Let's get into the weeds now. Of everything that happened at Twickenham, it was pretty grim. We'll try and dissect it as best we can. So the final score from Twickenham was England 13, South Africa 27, but to be honest, it felt like a lot more than that. If we if we focus first on whether it sort of ranks as England's worst performance of the year, there have been a couple, but I feel like it might be it might have been right up there just because we all came away thinking very hard to find a single positive to really focus on and build on moving forward, wasn't it? Yeah, completely. And, and as we say, in all areas, they were inferior, I would say. It looked like we we constantly heard about how the vagaries of the English system means that mean that England have to build cohesion throughout a campaign. They looked as kind of bereft of that cohesion, perhaps more so with 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 a backline that had been not albeit with Tommy Freeman coming in. It was a step backwards for the Smith Farrell axis because it was the most pressure they'd been put under by an aggressive defensive system. 
they were going to have to be so crisp there because the set piece and the aerial aerial ex- in, in the in the set piece exchanges and the aerial exchanges and the breakdown they were always going to be under pressure too because that's how South Africa played so the pinch point as as it was in the Lions tour was going to be whether they could outflank that 13 channel and Faf de Klerk was sensational and didn't allow them that so it just took away it took away everything from them I mean the Smith-Farrell partnership looks as if it's gone backwards if anything yeah. I just um, think I just think that's the most pressure they've been under yeah. and I think Faf de Klerk was given a, a explicit license to pressurize it because because of how often the ball had been through one or two of those of those players hands in what England were doing through throughout the rest of the autumn it was triumph of good coaching over uncertain coaching mm. and, and Eddie's hung his hat on 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 those two Smith and Farrell playing inside Manu as Manu sort of built up as this godlike figure who perhaps he was a few years ago could come into that 13 shirt and basically carry anybody at 10 and 12 but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore it certainly wasn't the case on on Saturday and frankly he should be looking Eddie should be looking at a plan b in that in that 13 shirt because that midfield combination was neutralized easily really by South Africa I mean it wasn't close Ellis Genge is, is always great speaking to us afterwards and we always appreciate his time and, and he had a good, he had a good comment maybe a, a slightly too honest comment where he was talking about Smith and Farrell didn't he and he said we were asking what the positives were from this campaign and he said off the field we've grown tighter together and, the, and he was talking about how combinations have had a chance to develop over these tests and he said that Smith and Farrell are two completely contrasting players, which was interesting because it was we obviously say this a lot that they are two very different players, and you are trying to mesh together two players to fit a style which ideally would work, but actually you've got two very different philosophies sort of butting heads a little bit. And I'd sort of took that line as even the players being like these guys really are so different in terms of how they approach the game. And maybe we're just getting to a point where we need to accept that that combination isn't going to work. If they're not producing, there have been eight tests now, and it's sort of a case of how many tests do you give a combination like that to flourish before you recognise that it will work or it won't? Almost the entirety of those eight tests as well. So Farrell got injured at yeah. the first one of them, which was Australia last year. They had the whole, pretty much the whole series in Australia together, apart from Smith's yellow card in Brisbane. And then they had all of these four games apart from Smith's injury at the end against South Africa. Who knows whether it's enough? What it's going up against is a Ford... Uh, Farrell partnership that is pretty much telepathic because those guys have grown up since 14, 14, 15 years old. Um, George Ford, I remember him. Tell me more about him. <laughs> well, his stock's gone up, hasn't it? Yeah. Because he's just, he is, his little things like Smith kicking out of hand and not and just not giving Freddie Stewart contestables to chase, just those tiny kind of inaccuracies just really hurt at test level. And I think Smith did take the lead as the chief playmaker over Farrell in a couple of games this autumn prominently against South Africa. And we just saw that it just didn't quite click. Um, there was, again, the tiny, tiny flashes just before the break he got injured on. That looked like a little bit of the spontaneous Smith that we see see with Harlequins. I think overall, if this eight, we can either look at this um, eight-game period that they've been together as a total waste of time, or now it is a viable option. I think I said this after potentially after the Japan game if Smith Farrell now is a viable option to have during a game uh, for the last 20 minutes as defence is tired and England can impart width is it worth it then? I don't know I, I would certainly say that supporters would not think that because that is falling into the drinking the Kool-Aid of the World Cup's the most important thing hmm. I, I mean that's what I would do I would, I would have Smith coming off the bench Farrell, Farrell at 10 or Ford yeah, returning the king as, as, as it might be because he's 
you know, his as you said, his stock has really gone up because he he often looks like the best fly half in England. He certainly did last season, leading Leicester to that to that Premiership title in terms of roundedness. Because I'm not sure that what kind of fly half does Eddie want Marcus Smith to be at, at, at that level? Does he want him to be? The, the, the spontaneous Harlequin, or, or does he want him to be more mature and more organised? And at the minute, I'm struggling to tell, and maybe Marcus would, maybe Eddie would as well. Does the Harlequin spontaneity and, and the chuck it about, does that translate onto the international stage against the very best teams? You've got to say, maybe not. We heard, I mentioned Ellis Genge, sort of being honest. We also heard from Jamie George afterwards, who was very honest as well about England's performance. Let's hear a bit of audio now from him on what he made of how England played. <laughs> Tough game, Matt, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, very tough. Um, just really, really poor performance from us, really. We weren't anywhere near where we needed to be. It's disappointing because I felt like we were taking steps in the right direction off the back of a poor forwards performance uh, last weekend. But, um, yeah, when you give away that many penalties at come time, it's always going to be difficult to win a test match. That was Jamie George reflecting on a disappointing performance. I think we need to sort of get into the main bit of this, which is also about Eddie Jones. I think we're all confident that he will keep his job, aren't we? Yes. I know he's now got this this review this session with the review panel over the next two weeks where they're going to look at England's performances and the RFU yesterday said they'd be really disappointed with how the autumn had gone and also that overall, despite some performances, results were not where they expect them to be. He's going to stay. Is he? Is it too late? To I think change? he will. I think he will. Feeling, I think yeah. what would be what would be ironic is that if the outcome of the review is that they need to change the back backroom staff more, yeah, because let's that's get been, into that. because how much that mm. has changed has been an issue and has clearly contributed to how muddled they look at the minute. Or certainly that has, that would be when when England went to the World Cup in. 2019, they had John Mitchell, Scott Wisemantle, Steve Borthwick. Even then, and this uh, this I don't think is hindsight bias, even then that looked like a complementary group of experienced, sharp coaches. Definitely. Um, at the minute, it doesn't really... I know you've got Richard Cockrell there, who's, who's vastly experienced and knows the English club game very, very well. You've got Matt Proudfoot, who's won a World Cup, but has there been an impact on the scrum? I'm not sure. Martin Gleeson, we've seen England quite sharp from from set piece situations, but the phase play and the alignment off of their back line is is just not overwhelming any defences. No, I mean England in a nutshell was was second half on on Saturday. I, I don't know if you recall it. Farrell at first receiver. I think it might be Mars Smith had just just gone injured and was just getting treatment. Farrell at first receiver, no options, just choosing to crash ball himself into two massive South African forwards gets marched back five metres to an exasperated Twickenham crowd and, and, and you're there thinking really is is that the best you've got a, a, a playmaker crash balling into two South African forwards hoping to sort of knock the wall down I wonder if Eddie Jones looks at Ian Foster who was under quite a lot of pressure earlier this year as we know and who had a nice has now had a nice little bump in job security partly because he changed two of his key coaching positions, which were the attack coach and also the forwards coach, with Jason Riles coming in and Joe Schmidt coming in. I just wonder whether he's going to be looking now at what he has in terms of assistance. And we know that he's not afraid to change assistance. Anthony Seabod, the defence coach, is going, and we were talking before we recorded the podcast, that actually the defence actually hasn't been the worst part of England's game. No, semi-positive, you yeah. say, from the autumn. And the coach overseeing that is now going, and he's going to be replaced by Brett Hodgson moving forward. With Matt Proudfoot in the scrum, uh, this is surely, that test against South Africa at Twickenham is surely like the biggest test of your scrum possible. The, the game where you need your scrum to be performing is impeccably and at its peak. 
and it just didn't happen, did it? We saw both sets of front rows came on and struggled. And there's and obviously we're going to this isn't we are going to touch on how good South Africa are because we have to. I was just expecting a bit more and a bit more competitiveness from England's props and England scrum against the scrum, which is the best in the world, because they have a scrum coach who previously helped coach the best scrum in the world. And Franz Malherber was watching the replay back on Sunday. Franz Malherber was penalised for a scrum at one point. I said to Charlie, that's weird. I don't think I ever see Franz Malherber penalised. That's why you went after Mako. Yeah, yeah it was a crucial like, refereeing a, a technical penalty. And then you watch it back and actually, he actually just demolishes Vina Boda entirely. Vina yeah. Boda almost does like a little flip in the scrum, yeah. which is quite hard in a confined space to have your mm. legs flip over your head. Yeah. But he did it. <laughs> Fair play to him. And and Franz Malherber and Eben Etzbeth on that side of the scrum, I think they were, they were the ones just absolutely pulverised England. So, is there a serious discussion to be had here about Proudfoot and whether they need a new scrum coach? I think so. There were four four scrum penalties that were that they came back for. I think two more advantages potentially and two free kicks on top of that as well. So that's and Jones brought up two things afterwards, and we you, we can take as much stock as we like in in what he's saying after games these days. But he said, well, first thing was they were really frustrated with how that was refereed. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one on 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 Will Stewart in the second half against Kitchoff that looked. Like Angus Gardner had had sort of made his mind up on who was who was winning the winning the contest, it went down, and, and um, I mean you can see why. Stuart, yeah, well, precisely, yeah. <laughs> so the, the whatever the minutiae of what's going on, South Africa's power was pressurising England throughout, and even I think according the the official stats of the England won three of seven put-ins. One of those put-ins, they were going backwards. Billy Vanipola picked up, Fafterclerk picked his pocket, forced a knock on. Um, Clearly forced a scrum, scrum points to South Africa, three points to South Africa. And that is how, and so that was, that was the first point that Eddie Jones was making. They weren't, weren't happy with the officiating of the scrum. Second point is that when the scrum is so inferior and you're coughing up that many penalties, where else is there to go in the game? It certainly does seem to bleed into other aspects of the game. We saw that in the, in the World Cup final. That was the defining, you know, the battle in the game. But equally, both in the World Cup final and and on Saturday in the World Cup final England were camped on the South Africa try line for five minutes or whatever it was before half time they score there it's a different game if they had anything like fluency in their phase play South Africa were offering up chances on, on the flanks as they always do because of how aggressive that um, out to win defence is so other areas of if your other areas of your game are strong enough then you're going to stay in the fight because the other areas of England's game weren't strong enough, they were left with nowhere to go again. The problem, the most frustrating thing, as as we've already discussed, was just the predictability of it. You know, they'd spoken all week about how important the scrum was, and then it was a case of first scrum, bang, and it's it, that set the tone for the entire game. And you're, you're looking around and going, "This is going to be a long afternoon." If you if you're coughing up a scrum scrum penalty against South Africa in in the first couple of scrums. You, you know you're not solid on your own ball and 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 then it's going to be a long afternoon for you and it was an important to say as well can moan about and, and jamie george kind of rode back a bit didn't he you can either say look we he said we can either blame the referee or we can look at ourselves and the second one is just a far by far the most healthy thing to do for but for a lot of reasons but england had have had problems with they're dominant against japan but they've had problems with three separate Referees, they arguably they lost momentum in, in at the end against Argentina from two two scrum penalties, one from Marco Vanipola, one from Joe Hayes. New Zealand, they were probably second best there, and then clearly second best again um, in the final game. Referencing the World Cup final, it just makes me think: if you're having the same issues now with the scrum getting dominated by the Springboks as you were three years ago in 2019, 
then it's a it's a kind of a lack of progression. Of course it is, yeah. And so and that's damning, especially on Proudfoot coming in as the scrum coach. How, how much how much stock do we place in the fact that we spoke about how England are kind of exploring their ceiling with new combinations and new players? How much stock while they have players in the bank like George Ford, who, is, who we've already mentioned? Um, how much stock do we place in the fact that they've got Joe Marler and Dan Cole? there and will be oh, Dan Cole's an incredible Nick he's the older of the two um, can they slot back in and change things well, I mean they couldn't do any worse no. than, than the guys there on, on Saturday could they, I mean, jo- they really Joe Marler can't wouldn't necessarily have been as influential well almost certainly wouldn't have been as influential as Marco Venipola was in that last 10 minute stretch against New Zealand Jeez, did those two go to the World Cup? And what does that say for England's kind of young front rows? That a, a, quote, they do? a quote from Macavinopola was sort of ringing around my head on, on when he spoke on the media on Thursday. He talked. He was. We asked him about fronting up against someone like Evan Etzebeth, and and he sort of he answered about that, but he turned it into a more general answer about how South Africa's physicality is sort of the benchmark in that regard. And I think he said that you either sort of front up and you, you know, you go for it, or you shy away and you don't play international rugby again. And, and then the way the game went with how they performed as a pack I don't know I, I, I honestly wonder whether we're going to see some of those players back I, I don't think that's over the top because I think I think Eddie will think oh oh no we're running out of time here and we've we've been second best by a mile there and, and Mako's selection presented as sort of cunning plan by, by Eddie and dropping Ellis Genge to the bench as the vice captain, okay, we thought it was to counter the to mitigate against the South African bench that the bomb squad in inverted commas. Uh, that's looking like an error now, isn't it? Like that's looking like another selection error to to start Mako Vunipola over Ellis Genge, the vice captain. Ellis Genge is is a better scrimmager. He has developed and matured into a better scrimmager, and he offers more in the loose. And to be honest, by the time he got on the pitch, the the damage had already been done. I, I, he'd have to have been superhuman to to revert that because you can't come on at half time with the referee already having decided that South Africa correctly have got the scrum dominance there's only so much you can do um, I'm not sure the best scrimmaging lucid in the world could have come on and reverted that I want, I want to talk about South Africa because they were equally excellent and, and mainly I want to talk about them because actually they were missing so many starters and frontline players and yet they still produced a performance like that. And, I've, and I know that France and Ireland have depth as well, and maybe they could do it. I certainly don't know if England were missing that many starters and frontline players, whether they would be able to go away from home and produce a, a comfortable win by, by that kind of margin. If you think about who was missing, you had no Andre Pollard, no Chesney Colby, no Lacan Yuan, who's arguably the best centre in the world at the moment, no Peter Steph de Toy, no Lou de Yaga, who offers so much in terms of physicality. They had Evan Ruse at number eight winning his third cap, Instead of Jasper Visa, because Jasper Visa was away with Leicester on the international rules. Already, some of them I've, I'd forgotten. Yeah, and then and then you were also we talked about the power of the scrum, but there was no Trevor Niakani, who was amazing last year against the Lions. No Vincent Cock, who's been consistently excellent. Like there's a good. Malaba good went seventy minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, there's, no Rynak. No, no Rynak. I mean, and I've probably forgotten one off the top of my head as well. There were a good sort of eight, nine players missing. No Dwayne Vermeulen because he wasn't even on tour. Like. There's so much depth there that all of a sudden I'm looking at South Africa thinking, wow, okay, actually, if you're going to be able to dismantle England like that, admittedly a fairly average England team, then who knows what's going to happen at the World Cup. I, I back them. I thought I think they look great. Here's a question. How, how worried do you think South Africa are about showing too much of their hand before the World Cup? 
<laughs> well, well don't, don't no, forget, don't forget that because you know exactly secret. what's coming. Don't yeah. You? yeah, exactly. You know exactly what's coming. But but to their credit, they are expanding a bit as well. With with Villy Larue in, in your side, you're always going to have a little bit of ambition from there and a little bit of opportun- opportunism when counter-attacking opportunities arise. They are not shy of a of sort of fake box kick, spin out, run run the exit out. And they after they'd scored their try from kick return, they did that with the next restart and they really stretched England. England was seriously vulnerable because they had a Toji and Coles in the front line. And nearly it was actually a really nice moment curtly um Arenza got the ball again from either LaRue or or um Valenza and he was one on one with Stewart he grubbed through Stewart di- dived and conceded the knock on but it could have been conceding a try but Fathclerk was punching the air high tens everywhere because South Africa had got another scrum job done they've sort of gone and that's how their game is connected because I talk about it when when you think about you know on a smaller scale over a premiership season so last season you could see how areas of Leicester's game were really connected great kicking game breakdown pressure um, winning penalties going to set piece um, first two sort of one two phase attacks really kind of damaging South Africa's the same they've really got and, and so are Ireland and France the areas of their game and the way they impart pressure connect up really well so that sometimes they do give sides nowhere to go yeah and and actually on that theme the most galling thing i think for england is that it wasn't just a case of south africa turning up in in the twickenham rain and bullying them for 80 minutes i mean that did happen but also alongside that south africa were also the more enterprising and creative of the two teams you look at the try that they scored england didn't come anywhere near close any anywhere near getting scoring a try of that quality more of a light drizzle well, well, yeah. Do, do we say, I, think, yeah I think at one point it, took, it, it, took did, him the it did. Drizzle. It did. The heavens did open. But yeah, it was more a light drizzle. The verb team was uh, Ooh, knocking around. Oh, yeah. that's <laughs> that, a nice fit. Um, that's quite nice. We talk, we've spoken about England's kind of inefficiency in the opposition twenty-two, haven't we? Over the, over the last year, had just six, a bit. Six yeah. seconds was it in the first half? Yeah, yeah. By half time, they had six seconds. And, and you th- and those are the moments that you think, oh, that's in, inconsequential. It was a Toji ripping um, Russ and um, Sinclair barging into 22. Mac over Napola and uh, Alex Coles blowing over and even Elspeth just coming round and, and winning the turnover um, very quickly. Those are the moments you think, oh, it's all right, England get another chance. You don't get those other chances against a team as well drilled as South Africa. Just on that, I was thinking Arenz's try was great and it was, it was great for a couple of reasons because it was sort of, it was South Africa winning the kicking battle in their own way because they managed to block off Freddie Stewart as the gunner trying to chase off the kick, didn't they? And then they created the try. But it was also just so nice to see a young winger like Lorenzo score an amazing try at Twickenham, particularly when you had Tommy Freeman on England's right wing, wing 14, who went off on 41 minutes at the start of the second half, having not had a single carry. And there was one clip, we, we, we'll get into Manu Tuolagi and Billy Vinopoli in a bit, because we've had a good reader's question. But there was one attack, in some, which I've, picked out in some analysis on the website this morning where England had effectively a five on three over on the right side and, he, and Billy Vinipona has the ball and he just decides to go route one <laughs> straight back on the angle straight into Evan Etzweth and Franz Herber and goes nowhere and out wide you've got five England attackers including Smith who can create something and poor Tommy Freeman just stood on the wing with his hands up saying please don't forget about me I am playing for England and loads of space in behind and they just didn't use it. I just I was watching the Arenzi try and seeing him get so involved and score such a great try and then seeing Freeman and his pace just wasted was, was horrible. I think South Africa draw you into confrontation very well. And we saw that with Ireland, didn't we? They stayed close to Ireland. Ireland weren't really able to find spaces on the edge because because of that aggression, I think you're almost drawn and you're almost cowed into going, going back inside. But England will look back 
on that game. And as I said at the top, if they realign quicker and they do realign more fluently, they would have had chances on the out on the outside. But and come if you believe Eddie Jones in a year's time, they'll be converting those chances and going, you know, seven, fourteen, twenty-one. That's got to be the hope, hasn't it? But I mean, they don't we, look anywhere near it. Just, just going back to Tommy Freeman as well. I mean, we've coined the phrase of the Lozowski treatment on on this on this podcast. It, it, do we fear for him being hauled off at half time? You always do, don't you? But I mean, how that would be crazy to me because um, he was brought in. I mean, that, that, those were his first minutes of the autumn, weren't they? Having having been injured at a really annoying time for him just before the autumn. Um, what criticisms could you level at him for, for, for Saturday? Because one, he didn't touch the ball. I mean, but is that his fault? Is is Eddie, would Eddie have been looking at that, going, "You weren't hunting for work enough"? I think he, that will be level at him. But we know he's pretty good at that because he did that on his test debut yeah. really nicely. Um, there was one that one that one box kick from Declerc that uh, Stewart spilt that maybe you could argue Freeman could have been more imposing on on an escort with. But you're you're pulling, you know, you're looking fine fine tooth comb there, and it's. It's hardly his fault instances like that when there's an opportunity to move the ball and it doesn't come his way. I thought your question there was going to be, have we trademarked the Lizoski treatment and how is the merchandise coming along? It's pending. And I don't know, is my answer to both of those questions, but I'll, uh, I'll come back to you. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into some readers' questions on, on England. Okay, a couple of reader questions now which we want to get into. Um, the first one was from Emilio, which is, the elephant in the room is the ability of the players. Are we overrating this group of players? England have not been particularly successful since 2003. We frequently blame the coaches, but are our expectations too high? Now, th- there's no denying that the 2003 crop were, were pretty special and they went through a lot in terms of missed grand slams and sort of built a lot of leadership and resilience and had plenty of you know, good skilled players to make that title happen. But are we, I don't know. Are we asking too much for this group to be successful? I don't think so. Do you count that by saying what players would you, what different players would you pick to to play South Africa at Twickenham and, and do a better job? Well, and maybe they were the best. Well, that's it. It's good. Or maybe they're just I don't not good many enough. of them. I don't think if they're going to play that way, um, Oli Lawrence is in, is in better form than Manu Tuilagi is so maybe so that's Joe the maybe, well, but he's uh, gone slightly different and there's also like slightly different 13 potentially mm. um, but that's it's, it's a great point because I don't think I don't think many people's best 15s are too much different well I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll get so into does that, that in a so bit so does that go yeah. to so does then does, do you then look at how um, how uncertain the coaching must be or how cluttered the players look with the messages that they're given and then the game plan that they're trying to impart. England look like a side who are trying to work things out on the hoof, but they have been that for the whole year. And I just, I, it's baffling me. But <laughs> it is, really but is. Is that because they're, they're holding everything back? And you just don't know. Well, I don't know. know. I don't know. It's all, all wink, part of the, the master plan for the World Cup and mm. it'll be all right on the night. Well, we'll I see. Promise. We'll see. So basically, this, these players have got talent, but the coaching is just a bit muddled. Yeah, and, and the priorities behind when they want to peak for, I think. And the, uh, while England were looking quite clunky over the, the start, even over last year even, you were going, look, Ireland went through a similar patch. They went through a really sticky patch while this phase play that they're now imparting regularly, albeit not quite as well in the autumn, um, was settling and and while they were while that was coming to work England have had twice as long now um looking 
similarly clunky. Um, so it's either it's either that the players aren't the right players, or it's or it's that the coaching isn't clear enough. Let's get into our next question, which is from Gavin, which is based on I, I think actually a really important point. If if Manu Tuilagi doesn't play or, or doesn't play like he used to, then what is the point, and why has Eddie Jones spent years ignoring the need to develop a side without him? I, I think Manu is actually becoming quite an important issue. I, I in the piece of I've, I've written today sort of took his sort of his averages over 80 minutes for England going back to 2012 I think it was and he was recorded and he had career lows for England in 2012 for metres per carry metres made and defenders beaten which is quite alarming when when you're thinking about how effective he's been and how much England need him to be effective can he still be the player we know Charles and and if not uh, who comes in no, I don't. I don't think he is. He is the Manu that we knew, and I don't think he's the Manu that, that Eddie has been holding out for. I think that came in, that peaked in 2019, and I think there was still a hope that that he might be able to recapture that. But I think this autumn has has proven that he's he's not the the, the beast he once was. I mean, Damien Dialende obviously is a, a fantastic inside centre. Jesse Creel is a bit of a stopgap for South Africa, and they shut him down. Um, fabulously at the weekend and it didn't as I said it just looked all very routine and easy there were times where he had um, a half gap to exploit or you thought that he might just bite through a hole or get just get on the outside and, and fend and put that sort of trademark fend in but it just didn't happen and the options does he does he go back to Slade at, at 13 obviously they had great success there in Dublin with Slade at 13 with Ford and Farrell but then are you too lightweight um, with Slade at thirteen, and are you lack are you lacking a ball carrier? We, there are, Ollie Lawrence, as you mentioned, is really the only sort of big ball carrying, bustling alternative to Manny Tuangi in that thirteen shirt, and he wasn't even in the squad. No, he, he well, he seems to have got the Lozowski treatment, yeah. hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. um, TM just to just to, yeah, bring that back up. But no, he's but he's looked really rounded for Worcester and then for Bath. He's he looked really good over the ball at the breakdown. Um, he's he's a I'd say he's a better distributor than than Tuilagi, and he's and he hits nice and he hits nice lines as well. I think it's important to say how important Manu was for England at that 2019 World Cup, as you say, Charles, because he um, and it wasn't just with those barnstorming carries; it was with defensive reads in midfield and forcing carriers back inside to for Curry and, and Underhill to to disrupt and really kind of give attacks nowhere to go. Um, England aren't an Aren't a massively imposing. I haven't looked in a massively imposing defensive outfit this this autumn, and and we can all see how the attack is going. It's the, there are realignment issues, there are decision making issues, and and he's been part of that. And it's as with everything, and as with our attitude to Jones, it's whether you go, whether you keep the faith in him to turn it round, or you or you cut loose and you go right somebody somebody else. Pick us aside, get us a really, get us a really um, pared down attacking uh, tactical approach, and let's let's um, and let's take the Six Nations and then the World Cup. But the problem is, if you get the wrong person, if you if you ditch Jones and you get the wrong person, and there are very few people that you would back to do a job um, in in that in that um, scenario, then you're going to have a horrendous, horrendous Six Nations and a horrendous World Cup, and then you're back at square one thinking. Right, we've got to get this next appointment. Right. And what a waste of a four-year cycle as well, I guess. 
Um, we, we're we're going to pick our teams, um, our England teams for the Six Nations a little later in the podcast. But after after a lot of negative talk, after not a great result, let's let's hear from Sean Edwards and about his time in France, and and we'll have that interview next. Now, after an unbeaten year with France, which was topped by winning a first Grand Slam since 2010 and a win over South Africa, we are delighted to be joined by the France defence coach, Sean Edwards. Sean, great to hear from you. Thank you very much. Let's start with France and that unbeaten year. How pleased are you with the work that you've done and, and what you've produced? Most of our losses have been by one score. So for us to get into the habit of getting on the right, right side of, of, a, of a tight scoreline, has been a habit uh, which is obviously a very good one. And it's a habit that we've certainly in the last um, two games against Australia, against uh, South Africa, which has served us very, very, very well. Sean, you, you recently kind of renewed with France and you'd stay through till 2027. Can you tell us about that decision to stay on with France? Because you're man in demand, clearly. And there's going to be this merry-go-round of coaches, isn't there, in 2023? Well, I always remember in uh, 2015 when Wales had actually won two of the Six Nations in the cycle, the cycle being from the last World Cup, obviously. Okay, we'd won two, 50% win ratio. We went into the World Cup because we'd had a couple of bad results in the fourth game of, of the Autumn Series. We're basically, half of our team was playing in France or playing in the England at, at the time. I found it unusual. I'm not trying to tell World Rugby what to do or anything like that. I found it unusual that they actually go towards your ranking. You understand what I mean? But they do. And because of that, you know, we ended up being ranked something like eighth and ninth at one stage. And, and we ended up in a group with England, Australia, Fiji, Wales, the toughest group probably in the history of the World Cup. And I remember those sleepless nights that I had. I had a newborn child. I had a son as well to provide for. And I remember the sleepless nights I had in the build-up to the World Cup. I know very, very easily, you know, the game against England could have gone in the other way. When France made me an offer a year and a half early, you know, from, from the end of my contract, I just remembered that, I, I, you know, I remembered, number one, I've not got an offer on the table from anyone else. And number two, France have treated me very, very well over the last um, two or three years. And I'd like to think, I've uh, replicated that to them. The World Cup's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Can you can you speak a little bit about how you mentioned there your France are getting on the end of close games? The landscape of Test teams. Can you remember it being as tight? Never, never, never. Nowhere near. And it's it must be so exciting for the for the supporters, for the television viewers. Nerve wracking for the coaches. Ah, obviously, I mean, but you know, that's the way it is. But you know, you, you remember the days, I remember days in the past where, you know, it's how many in New Zealand were going to win by, wouldn't it, you know? And, you know, don't get me wrong, I do think that the recent autumn series has been a little bit of a wake-up call for us Northern Hemisphere teams in the fact that, you know, in the summer, a, a lot of victories away from home and, you know, quite a bit of dominant, you know, England won brilliantly and New Ireland won brilliantly. But what you have to remember, the Southern Hemisphere teams have a bit of an advantage, well, not a bit, a lot of an advantage in winning World Cups because it's at the end of their season. And I know when I was playing for Wigan or when I was coaching at Wasp, 
We always, always, all our training programmes were about peaking at the end of the season when the big games were. And with Wigan, you know, a very good record of winning big games at the end of the season, Challenge Cups, etc. And obviously with Wasp, I'd like to think we did something similar, the same. But the timing of the World Cup's never going to change. So you have to get, try to get into form at the start of the season in your absolute best form. Because to win a World Cup, obviously, you have to be absolutely bang on. Everybody in the team, like England did in, in Australia. Very, very difficult to do. To be at your absolute best at the start of the season. And that's why they, that's why they have an advantage. Sean, I just wanted to go back to the, the contract extension you, you signed with France. I know in that column you wrote that there had been no no offer on the table from England. Have you sort of do you still hope that that might happen down the line that you could end up with England at some point? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be involved with England at some point down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love international rugby. I love international rugby. I, um, what what is the closest you you've ever been with that? Well, the closest I've ever been, was, uh, I had one offer from them once, once, and that was in 2006. That's when Andy Andy was in charge, Andy Robinson. He, he was chatting about rugby league and all that. He he made an offer to me. He made an offer to me. But unfortunately, it was just after my brother had died. It was about two years after my brother had died uh, in a car crash. And I asked my mother, um, what did she think? And... Um, she, I had an offer from Wasp to be head coach, and obviously, when you when you head coach, it's every day, you know, something to occupy your mind all the time. You know, I was at second team games, first team games on on the Saturday and Sunday, second team games on a Monday, training out all the time. And my mother said to me, "I don't think you're ready yet." And she said, "I'd be, I'd be a little bit worried about you if you you had a lot of time on your hands, you know, dwelling over what has happened to my brother." So that's the only time I don't know if it was in 2006. Sean, you, you, you mentioned Wasps. Can you just talk us through that from your your perspective and what that's been like? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how Wasps became my, my team. I was playing in, in the in the, um, the Sevens for Wigan at, um, at Twickenham. It were in the final. So I'm in the tunnel and Lawrence Delalio comes up at the side of me because well, I'm the captain of Wigan, he's captain of Wasps and he starts, <laughs> starts shouting... Smash these rugby league swords, you know? <laughs> and I immediately thought, geez, I like this guy. <laughs> anyway, because on the pitch, and, and they did smash us, to be honest, in the first, it was all over us at the rook and everything. We like, a lot of our boys had no idea what to do, you know. Because Lawrence had been like that, that's when Wasp became my team. So I started following him, and I was following, the, I was following his career as well, you know, England captain, and et cetera. And then I ended up being a coach of coach of Wasp, and it worked fantastically well for me because my son was living in London, in West London, and I couldn't afford to live in West London, you know, at the, just at the end of my rugby league career without having a job. That was the old reason that I ended up. Uh, one of the reasons I ended up at Wasp. Number one, I supported them. You know, you, you all have your own little team, don't you? That like you support in various competitions, and and because of Lawrence, you know, they, they became my team. And then, obviously, my son lived in West London. That was a, one of the big reasons I ended up at Wasp. And it's just so sad, really, that we've always had a, that, that fighting spirit, Wasp. And, and you know what? I still think they can come back at some stage. I don't know how they can do it. But we, just have a, we just have a spirit as Wasp is. And uh, 
hopefully that will never go away. What what's your, what have been your thoughts on how England have progressed? Because they've had, um, you know, Eddie has unashamedly said that the World Cup is his priority, but I think fans would be potentially slightly frustrated at how this last year's gone. Well, I can't concentrate on, I can't remember all the results. You know, to, to go to Australia and win away from home, it was a fantastic achievement after going 1-0 one, down. Very, very rarely done is that, to go 1-0 down in a three-test series and win. So, I think that they should be applauded for that. I think what the problem is for the English is they just got so used to beating Australia is that they take it for granted now. And Australia, for me, um, come World Cup time, could be a big, big threat for everybody. Sean, there's a lot of um, sort of speculation at the moment about Wales after a tricky autumn with losing to Georgia and that, and that defeat to Australia about what's going to happen with, with Wayne Pivak and reports that Warren Calland might come back if Warren was to do that, knowing him so well from your time together, what would he bring to that setup? What would be the first things he would do? I don't know. You better ask him that. Is in is it in a desperate state, or what would he sort of bring to that? What what would what would he sort of add? Well, I, I thought Wales played brilliant. I mean, I watched the game at weekend. Um, I had a chance to watch it because we'd have no game. I watched the game. I thought you know Alan Wynne Jones was brilliant and. A lot of the you know the young kid in the set, in the back row was a fantastic ball carrier. It's just the way that modern day uh, <laughs> Test rugby is, isn't it? It's like there's a lot of points being scored, loads of points. It's normal to have the lack of 33, 29 scoreline. And as I said, it's just getting that habit of getting on the right hand side of, of, of a tight scoreline. And you know, look at us. We played against fourteen players against South Africa for you know. For a long time, for a long, long time. I know Antoine got sent off in the second half, but you know, and we won by four points. So it's just, it's just so close, and it's so excited. So would Warren be able to basically turn those tight losses into wins? Do you think? I think any coach, if you can go to a team, and it's something that I always try to concentrate on, is if you can go to a team and you can make three or four points difference. Three to six points, I'd say. If you can make that difference, you're doing a good job. Because, as I said, a lot of games are decided by one, two, three, four, five, six points. And I'm sure Warren would, would go in with that attitude of wanting to make you know, three, four, five points difference to the scoreline and then they're on the right end, the right end of it. Something you've said, Sean, in the, in the past is that the current landscape with cards and refereeing interpretations and, and things like that just means it's so um, unpredictable. And when, when you add in how tight these teams are, as you've just said, what does, that, what does that mean for... Is that a fun environment to be coaching in? Is it a stressful environment to be coaching in? I imagine it means that the clarity that you can give the players makes a lot of difference. Well, you have to practice with 14 quite a bit. Yeah. Or even thirteen at times, but you know you you only have so much limited uh, preparation time. We've been very fortunate. I think we I think we're the most disciplined team in world rugby, as regards you know yellow cards and red cards. We only had one, and that was Antoine, and that was a total accident from Antoine. You just have to, yeah, as I said, you have to practice fourteen players. What you do if you if you prop, are you going to take on? Are you going to bring off? And there's so many complicated situations, but you do have to, you do have to, you know, you have to 
I'm sure all the teams go through scenarios, scenario coaching, and uh, we, we certainly do that with the French team. What's um, what's coaching Antoine Dupont like, Sean? Well, I, I kind of changed his role in defence. I think he had more of a role, uh, like a roving role, following the ball. <clears throat> because you're number nine and number ten, let's be honest, you're judged on your attack, not really defence. So it's important for, for them to have recuperation, I think, when you're defending. I changed his role a lot where it's a, he doesn't do he didn't do as, doesn't do as much running, but he can he has a he has a big responsibility and uh, I'm not obviously telling you what it is but it's pretty obvious when you watch his play. The biggest thing improvement one I think Antoine's made and it's it's been it's been throughout the French team really is is in his discipline in his kicking game. I think against South Africa three years ago, you know when I first arrived. And uh, Flocky first arrived, he's a kicking coach from South Africa and obviously the other coaches. To think that, we, we probably out-kicked South Africa in, our, in the, um, the last game we played against them. I, I've studied the game, obviously, in detail. And to think that from where we was to where we got, and a lot of that is down to Antoine having more discipline in his kicking game. And um, he, he did exactly the same against England in the Grand Slam game. He, he kicked exceptionally well. Uh, relieving pressure uh, with a like, little bit minimum of force, not messing around too much, and um, that's been a, great, a big thing for him because you have to remember he's a Toulouse player and uh, to you know Toulouse have, have their style as well, which can be at times be a little bit different. But yeah, that's what's great about rugby: different styles and uh, for different teams. But I think Antoine's been a big part of us improving our kicking game. Sean, that's been great. Thanks so much for your time. See you guys. Right, we're now going to look ahead to the Six Nations and think about who we'd like to see selected as England try and get back on track after a really disappointing autumn campaign. We're going to go through position by position and I don't think we'll have too many arguments with the fullback, so I will just say Freddie Stewart. It's a yes from me. I've just changed. <laughs> I've just changed. Just to changed put, it. To put Arundel 15, Stewart 14. Now, you were keen for this before I want to see autumn. it. I want to see it because I think... You bring in, you bring Stewart into the game. You you probably simplify his role there. I don't think his impact on the aerial exchanges is is diminished too much. And then you give England a little bit more pace on that because they they're getting Stewart to kind of swing in behind those two distributors they're using. And I think Arundel is just that little bit sparkier to do that and probably able to get in position a little bit quicker and just challenge that edge, which is just what England aren't doing. Yeah, I would I would agree with. With, with what you're saying, do you think that Arundel has the, the high ball? Let's nous? find out. I want to find out. Okay. I mean, I've got Arundel as my 14. Me too. So I'm, so I'm sort of... Eddie loves the whole no numbers idea, but I think actually here it does kind of work because you could just interchange the two. Mm, you could try great. and get Arundel on those outside breaks on the wing. I like... Yeah, okay. I quite like that. So we've all got the same two people on the pitch to start. Yeah. I'm not saying we should get be rid doing, of numbers. We should be doing the job. No, no, no. But okay. we should be doing the job. Outside centres... I have Henry Slade, who I was surprised didn't get a start this autumn because he played rather well off the bench. I also have Henry Slade. I'm gaffing the numbers, I think, because I've got Lawrence 13, Slade 12. You've got Lawrence 13, Slade. Have we all picked the same centres? But just, you've got Lawrence. Why why Lawrence 13, Slade 12 out of interest? Uh, just, I mean, no, no special reason, really, just because I think Slade will be, if he does play with a 10 he will be distributing a lot so that he'll probably set up in that shape they use as the first receiver with 
my 10. We're about to don't reveal. Get to, don't do your 10. <laughs> yet. Don't with do, my 10. Don't um, do your 10. Fading yet. out the back. We, we've we've panned England's attack a lot, obviously, but I actually thought when Slade was on the field was the best they looked. Yeah, was, definitely. Like during, uh, during so I do not have Ollie Lawrence. Oh, you don't? Oh, I sorry. Do I, I have Owen Farrell at 12. Okay. But Why? not... Because I think he's a fabulous rugby player and I think that uh, the best of England over the past... Well, since under Eddie Jones and before has always been with him on the field and I'd like to see him reignite that partnership with my fly half um, who will we reveal. Rem- rem- keep your fly half... A mystery, but we both have Ollie Lawrence. Uh, Ollie Lawrence, we sort of touched on him a bit earlier, but fascinating player. The way he was just discarded has always felt a bit weird after that one game against was it Scotland, February twenty twenty one? Was it? I think in the start of Six Nations, and and like we said, has gone to Bath, playing very well, adds thrust, can carry well, can break tackles. I'd like to see him give it another go. Left wing might be interesting, and I'm saying that looking at my piece of paper because I've already scribbled out two names and written someone else in. So I'm going to be a coward and go last, and I'm going to say, Charles Richardson, who is your left wing? My left wing is Jack Knoll. Okay. I thought he was really good off the bench yep. at the weekend. I think he brings something different, and a different kind of threat. He brings a buzz and energy to this England team. And I think that him and Aaron Dillon, Freddie Stewart is a really balanced back three. There is a lot, I know Noel is lacking a yard of pace, but, but Arundel's not. And I think you've got a, a nice balance there. Noel is, is better in the air and he does go looking for work. And in a back line, regardless of the one that I pick, or even if it's the one that Eddie picks, in a back line that lacks ball carriers sometimes, Noel can be the guy on, on static ball to just get you moving and get, get you on the front foot. Charlie, talk to me about your left wing. Jeez, I'm so inside my own head with this. I'm That's r- good. Rattling oh, this is what I want. I've <laughs> gone I want um, inside Charlie Morgan. I've gone friend. fucking a singer. Thought he was yeah. slightly hard done by. Or just also air of kind of this a bit mystery over that, wasn't there? He wasn't fit to play for England, but then played on the bar. He shouldn't have been so effective. Bar. It was his own fault for looking so good. He's, look, he's been fine. If if we're going to be super picky, he didn't swing around on the pendulum very well for Argentina's set piece try, did he? But he's good. Otherwise, in that game, I thought, and then grew into it again the next week. And as Charles said, England want their wings to go looking for work, and I think he's getting better. There are loads of wings, though. And I, I was, do you remember? I was in the first episode, I was scribbling out Charlie's name. Charlie's looking at my scribbles. Adam, Adam Radwan. <laughs> Radwan. Radwan was, he, 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 what he offers reminds me a little bit of what Kurtley Arenz has done for South Africa. But as we said at the top, Arenz has come into a really clear role. And I don't think any new faces with England are doing that. No, I've I, personally I've gone fully interchangeable back three. Anyone can play fullback, and I've actually got Anthony Watson there. I just want to get him involved for when when he's fully fit. And it looks like he's getting there, even though he seems to have a knock every game. He has that burst. He has that acceleration. He's solid under the high ball. And I think I think because he hasn't been around much, we've almost forgotten about him. I think he'd really add a lot. Which brings us to the fly halves. Here we go. I have Owen Farrell. Funnily enough, he plays quite well at fly half for his club, Saracens. Don't know if you've seen him win many cup finals. I'd like to see him at 10 for a bit. I feel like it's been a long time. I actually don't think we've panned a lot of England players during this autumn. I actually don't think he's had the worst autumn. I know that's very unpopular, but when you watch the tape back, he's often better than you think. And he would be my fly half. A couple, sure. couple of nice no moments when he moved there, even on even on Saturday. Yeah, I've got him as well. And, oh. and, and that's it. Yeah, no. Every, everybody's 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 big him up enough for me. I, I'm holding out for George Ford to come oh, yeah. back and save the day. That, yeah, I really am. So, so just on that, and and you might not know this. Sorry, so I might be putting you on the spot. When is he 
back from injury scheduled to be December initially yeah, I think okay. as the forecast yeah so it, so it's feasible yeah it's feasible and I'd like to see that that partnership Ford Farrell as I said reignited with Slade outside with some really dangerous runners outside and some really clever footballers outside them could we could we get to a point where Marcus Smith isn't in the England 23 where you have Farrell starting in Ford on the bench is that wild I don't think it's wild. I think he will be in the 30th for the World Cup, won't he? Yeah. And I think he will be a better player in the 33 for having had this period in the side. But equally, Ford is one of those players that Jones left out because he sort of... It was like you said Dwayne Vermeulen didn't play for South Africa this, mm. this weekend. It's because they explicitly said, we don't need to see him play. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. fine. We know what he does. That's and, true. Um, well, that's similar to Muller and Cole that you've already yeah. touched on. It's, it's exactly the same logic. We might be a bit quicker through the next ones. Scrum half, JVP. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'll benefit massively from these two games. He, he was a bit better against South Africa. Obviously, New Zealand, he had his his struggles, but I think he will really benefit from those. Lucio Prop, Yeah. Yep. I love how you go 15-9-1-8. Is that right? right? No, it's the right no, way. No, 100%. The right. I, 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 when I, in a previous job in a different country, I was 15-1. to one. And I, uh, for a long time, I couldn't stop writing right, right, teams that way. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. 15 to 1 is horrendous. I mean, we could go really retro and go 6, 8, 7. It's just horrendous. We could go 6, 8, 7 Surprise, and be really retro. Yours, yours is actually letters, isn't it? I can't see yeah. yours. <laughs> um, who, who's the hooker for you guys? It's one of two, isn't it? I've gone George. I, I have Cowan Dickey. I also have Cowan Dickey. I, I feel, but I, no complaints. But I feel like they're... They're fairly interchangeable. Yeah. You can't really grumble. No. Um, George, slightly better arrows, you'd say. Slightly, yes. Slightly better throwing in. Arrows, but not um, as much of a breakdown threat. No. So you're, not as you're much kind grit. Of, you're choosing. Sinclair at tight head. Yep. yep. On, on the basis that there really isn't much else. I don't think we said earlier, poor Will Stewart. Poor Will Stewart. I mean, yeah. his second game back, having to contend with Stephen Kitschoff, I felt, and struggling and then going off with an elbow injury dislocated his elbow I think yeah. it was Genge as well Genge gave a little look behind the curtain there didn't he so oh. that fair play Stuart had to, sorry, Will Stuart had to dig in because his knee wasn't quite right and then he did his elbow well do you if his knee wasn't quite right do you, do you therefore question why he yeah. was picked in the first yeah. place and, and, why, think, and why and Joe Hayes wasn't well, of all the packs to have go. to take on with a dodgy knee as well yeah yeah exactly Marriage edges at four I think that's universal yeah, yeah. Which the other second race spot might be interesting. So I'll let you two go first because jo- Johnny Hill. We didn't touch on this either. Obviously, must have made Eddie Jones have kittens when he when he had that penalty reverse with that shove on Fafter Clerk. Yeah, yeah, and then the, the, there was a naughty tip clear out, wasn't there? The final play of the game, which yeah. sort of unfortunately kind of put a full stop on it. I've gone ribbons. Five He's ribbons. He's infuriating Johnny Hill because he, he had a good opening half an hour as, yeah, we, as we've touched on and then, then ruins all that good work. I've I've gone Ollie Chesham who, who returned for Leicester yesterday. I also have Chesham. Yeah, yeah, who returned for Leicester yesterday who's always looked really good in an England shirt and really strong when he's been given opportunities off the bench. I remember them, him coming on in Rome and and really lighting up that, that field. And, and, and Eddie is a fan. We, we know that. He name-drops him a lot well, in that, press conferences. That's what I was going to say. Obviously, we asked about who who are you looking forward to coming back in, and the truth is there aren't actually that many, apart from Arundel and Courtney Laws. And he mentioned Courtney Laws, but he also mentioned Ollie Chesham a couple of times. So it's likely that he comes back. What about at six? I've got Laws here, but I know, I, in, I've picked that in the full knowledge that it's it's an unknown. I'd like right. somebody, there's so many options here and there were so many options kind of, England were kind of really badly hit in a kind of focused way at blindside flanker, weren't they? So no Ludlam, they could they didn't move uh, Curry there because, sad about. Yeah, because Undeal was injured. 
dark horse i've picked laws with the with the caveat that a dark horse i'd like to see potentially bolt into the reckonings ted hill mm. i just like him i think he's england don't haven't really seemed that fond of that sort of six but um I think they do need just a little bit more thrust and heft, don't yeah. they? There. Have you have you got laws, Charles? No, I've 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 gone with Curry at six. Law because of the question marks around laws, and because in in my opinion, he's always seems to play his best rugby off the bench. I think him and as as Eddie always says, it's a twenty three man game. I think him and Mako Vunipola coming off the bench with others is going to give England real thrust in that last half an hour. So I've gone I've gone Curry at six, and then seven. Uh, at seven, I've got Curry at seven. I'd, I'd, I really would like to see England give Tom Pearson some time. I just think he's such a good carrying threat. He's improving at the breakdown. He's physical. He was he was good yesterday for London Irish against Leicester. I'd, I would like to see him get a bit of time. You've got Curry at seven, Charlie. Yep. I'm yep. guessing. Which brings us to number. I've got, I've got no. I've got Jack Willis at seven. Oh, sorry, you got Jack. Willis yeah, because at seven. I've moved sorry. Curry to six, and I've got Jack Willis at seven. I'd okay. like to see the two of them have a go. I'd like to see a, a, a Curry Underhill's style approach with the two of them having a real go can't forget some underhill and if he is fit i do think we might get uh, him involved in some way i, th- I think he's been missed mm. actually i mean i'm, I'm just scr- scratching my brains now did, did england win a holding on penalty on on saturday curry from a curry, curry? curry from after a, the it's curry. It's so, a, so yeah. one a so you know in. you know willis willis would be an addition there for, for, for some real on the floor yeah now number eight is interesting it, sam simmons it might be back we don't know billy vinipolo i think had a fairly fairly disappointing autumn to be honest and that he didn't get England over the game line as much so who do you guys have I've, got, I've stuck with Billy Vinopola because I just think England don't have an eight like him and I'm willing to after he was good in Australia I'm willing to write off I think I'm willing to write off the autumn as a bit of a as a bit of a hiccup, although it was although it was poor. But he's he's gone away. He's been dropped, hasn't he, once in the last couple of years by England and gone away and he's been excellent for Saracens, mm. as in as in hauling games to his will. So I think he will be fine when and look a lot better for when other things get ironed out around England. I agree with all of that, and I've kept I've kept the faith with Billy Vinopola. I don't think there's a there's a better alternative at the minute. I'd love to have that Billy Vinopola, but given we haven't seen it, I have I have sort of been wondering. And we talk about Alex Dombrand being back and available. Maybe we'll see some Alex Dombrand. We're not sure. I've actually gone really left field, and I've gone for Gloucester's Ruin Ackerman. He's hard as nails. He carries relentlessly. He's good over the breakdown. He would give England a point of difference. He does qualify for people aren't sure. I would love to see him rewarded for what has been really decent form over the past couple of years in a really good Gloucester pack because I feel like even though we'd, we've spoken in the past about how many great eight options England have, I actually feel like there's room for someone else to come in and sort of steal that spot. So he would be my choice. Mm, he's a real tough cookie, that's for sure. Right, those are our England teams for the Six Nations. Next, we're going to wrap up by looking at Wales and what happened with their game against Australia. Right then, Wales 34, Australia 39 in Cardiff on Saturday. Wales at one point, after 53 minutes, led 34-13. And Wayne Pivot must have thought, it's all going to be fine. And then it really wasn't fine. Charlie, what happened? Well, kind of, this is a really weird trend that we're seeing more and more of over the course of this season, kind of amplified by what's happening in the Premiership. And when it's happening in the Premiership, you're thinking, won't happen in the... Won't happen in tests because tests are serious. But 
No, it's happening happening in happening in Test matches. The Premiership isn't serious. Yes, Charlie Morgan. Yes, we are. But people people rationalise it by saying you know referee interpretations are so important, and then you get one of them, you get on a roll, and then momentum, 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 couple of cards, and that sort of seemed to happen. Australia's maul was a real weapon. Brought you know that's what squeezed out a couple of those yellow. Well, well, brought brought Wales into a situation where they were defending with thirteen, and. From then, sort of, all bets are off, right? But it, and at that point, Wales had been putting together some really fluent stuff. And as we were watching it, as we were in the kind of Twickenham press room, you're thinking, you know, that's albeit against a kind of a very beleaguered, threadbare Australia side. That's some of the stuff that Pivak has been talking about and trying to kind of impart. And it's finally coming good. They just need to to hold this out. But when you're in a bit of a rut as Wales are, you know, one little thing can kind of incite doubt and that's what seems to happen. And Australia got on a roll, buoyed by the fact that they'd had a bit of time together. It was their last hit out before the end of the season. Came on strong, but yeah, remarkable. Yeah, I mean, to set the scene, Wales, Wales looked brilliant at the start. You had Alan, Alan Jones sort of running three and, and chucking off loads. You had Talipa Falatau out on the wing, sort of as a throwback, sort of <laughs> finishing off tries. Rio Dyer's been a, a fun find this season. He's scored and they sort of stormed. Jack Morgan looks a player. Jack, Mor- Jack, Morgan's been, Jack Morgan's been useful. And they sort of really stor- stormed into this lead. And then let's talk about the Wallabies, missing so many players and yet managed to pull this pull this one out of nowhere. So you've got Mark Nwanga Nituazi on the wing with a double. Nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you, Wikipedia, for telling me how to pronounce that. His two tries. The Tipperit trip on Pete Sami when he went through. And then if you were going to get a winning try by an Australian, then it probably is Lachlan Lonergan, isn't it? Because I feel like that is the, the peak Australian name. A, a ridiculous comeback, wasn't it, Charles? Yeah, and I'm really pleased for them, actually, because I've watched them now three times in person. And in every game that I've watched, they nicked the, they nicked the Scotland game, they lost by a point to France, and they lost by three points to Ireland. And even beaten up, they were... You know they looked really strong, and they looked like they could have they could have won both of those games against France and Ireland. And so I'm glad that they got over the line against Wales. I think they've fought really hard. They've shown a lot of bottle, with a lot of their first choice team not available. And I was I was actually glad that that they that they beat Wales. I was happy. I was happy. I thought it was a good result for rugby. I think it's a good result for Southern Hemisphere rugby. It was a good result for Australian rugby, and it's a good result with the World Cup coming up next year against a really mediocre Wales team. That be, them being strong just contributes more, doesn't it, Ben, to the kind of to this real the cluster. So England have been calling it this cluster of of test teams that you've got to break through. As we've said a few times now on this on this podcast, France, Ireland, South Africa are above that cluster, I think, and I think New Zealand have the dynamism and the athleticism and the skill to beat anybody on any given day whether they can kind of go whether they put put a run together and win the world cup i'm not sure but australia being strong in that second tier if you like and having the ability to maybe knock off one of those sides just makes the world cup so unpredictable which begs the question which we've come back around to what we're kind of saying at the start why are we so enthralled to world cup results why are they the be all and end all when this tournament is going to be incredibly unpredictable and, and I know this is potentially kind of um, contradicting what Sean Edwards says, which is always pretty dangerous. But he said that, that South Africa are the best team in the world because they're the world champions. I don't think I think you can win the World Cup and not be the best team in the world because it's because more so now because of this 
crazy landscape that we've got with cars, refereeing interpretations, and just because of how tight everything is. Yeah, we're normally good for one shocker World Cup, but maybe this will just be the World Cup of shocks, and we'll just have abs- we'll just have teams turning each other over it with, with no real surprise. I, I think if Dave Rennie gets his Gitto's Law negotiations correct, and he can fill as many slots as possible, and if he can have Will Skelton and Craig Cooper and Samu Karevi along with this group who just pulled out this win over Wales despite being beaten up. And Michael Hooper wasn't available, I think, for this game either again. Then I, I certainly would be fairly wary of Australia. Love yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really true. I, I think we should finish on on Wayne Pivak. I think it's worth noting that there were reports that he was meant to be flying out to France to do a World Cup camp visit, and those plans have now been shelved. Lots of reports about Warren Gatlin potentially coming in there. We'll know more over the next couple of days, so please keep checking the website. But it it feels it feels unlikely. Wales, unlike England, I think have reached a point after that loss to Georgia, and then, and then the way that this has gone on the weekend, where they seem to be strongly contemplating, based on the statement yesterday from Steve Phillips, the chief exec, that you know this really isn't satisfactory, and we need to make a change. Yeah, I mean, England didn't lose to Japan, did they? And, and that's that's the crux here. Whereas, they certainly didn't. Whereas Japan were terrible. Well, yeah, but I mean, where, the Wales's equivalent was Georgia, and Wales did lose, and they lost to Italy at home earlier in the year. Lost to Georgia at home. It, it's got to a point now where you ju- they're, they're probably just thinking we might as well cut our losses if Warren Gatland or someone else were to come in instead of Wayne Pivac. How much, how much worse would the World Cup finish be than what it's currently on a trajectory to be? probably not at worst case scenario it won't be any worse than what it's going to be now so why would you not it's sort of risk free isn't it right that's it for today and also for the autumn thank you so much for your questions and for your company over the last few weeks we will be back for the six nations and potentially sooner if you say enough nice things about us so please hit the subscribe button and tell your friends and family how much of a great time you've had listening to the podcast until then goodbye